How do you respond to those who feel that all of this is overkill in some way and that the loss of freedoms and the consequent downturn in the economy could prove more harmful in the long run than the actual effects of COVID-19? You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 124, The Undefinable Spirit, Sandy Brown, Citizen First, Mayor Second. Welcome everyone to The Sale Podcast number 124 another edition of The Undefinable Spirit. And our special guest today is Sandy Brown, who is mayor of Orangeville, Ontario. Now, he was elected in 2018, and Sandy has the singular joy and challenge of leading a municipal council in town through one of the most serious health crises of our time, the COVID-19 pandemic. In his earlier life, Sandy studied to enter medical school at the University of Toronto, subsequently joining his father's sign company, and then later opening his own with two other partners. After about 10 years, Sandy turned to real estate, got his license, and worked in the Orangeville area. He began to follow municipal politics, and in response to the high levels of taxation and other decisions made by council, he decided to run against and then defeated Mayor Jeremy Williams. Sandy's life has taken him in some weird and wonderful directions, including encounters with people like baseball legend Hank Aaron, former congressman and civil rights advocate Andrew Young, Samuel Pryor, who was a close friend of Charles Lindbergh, Don Cherry, and the trainer of the Toronto Maple Leafs, in the nude. We'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> Sandy's mother was trained as a nurse during the Second World War and taught him the importance of having a marketable skill. She also taught him about courage after escaping an unhappy family life to raise he and his sister, a somewhat atypical scenario for those times. Philosophically, Sandy holds up John Stuart Mill, the father of utilitarianism, as a model for how he operates in the political world. And we'll get to that as well a bit later. But first of all, welcome to the podcast, Mayor Sandy Brown. Well, thank you very much, Harry. And Peter, I'm really uh, pleased to be with you today. Sandy, since like most of the country, we're seemingly preoccupied with the COVID-19 situation, I'll begin by asking you, what has been or is the most challenging aspect of the COVID-19 pandemic, both personally and politically? Well, personally, I'm 61 years old. I'm in the category of those who don't want to get this COVID uh, virus. So I'm trying to do my best to uh, honor all of the public health warnings, washing of hands and uh, keeping physical distancing. So on a, on a personal level, both me and my family are doing all of those things. We're trying to hunker down and stay at home as much as possible. On the political front, it's just a, a matter of supporting and trying to get the message out from the higher levels of government who are providing all of this uh, financial support for residents and businesses. And I think both the provincial and federal governments are doing a, a very good job under extreme circumstances to keep 
money in people's pockets and food in their mouths and shelter, which are the important things uh, in life beyond anything else. So kudos to them. So I've been trying to keep our local citizens notified and educated as much as possible. We've been doing some YouTube interviews in, in town here. I've had some town hall meetings with local politicians and other business leaders to give the town good information about the other levels of government support. So mm-hmm. that's what we're doing for the most part. Yeah, and there's an awful lot going on in terms of information and support and advice and all of that. But here's the question I wanted to ask of you, Sandy. You talk about John Stuart Mill kind of being a model for preventing harm and for bringing about the greatest amount of good for the greatest number of people. And that should be a kind of a guiding principle. And it has been for you, I think. But yes. you know, recently, Orangeville Council brought in a bylaw that would fine individuals, correct me if I'm wrong, caught in public who disregard the provincially mandated physical distancing protocols. How do you respond to those who feel that all of this is overkill in some way and that the loss of freedoms and the consequent downturn in the economy could prove more harmful in the long run than the actual effects of COVID-19? We're going to see. I mean, there's lots of prognostication going on out there about how we're going to get out of this and the the damage to the economy that's, that's happening right now. The reality is that this virus is very stealthy. Yeah. We don't know if we're healthy, we're feeling healthy. We could be an asymptomatic carrier of this disease. And we passed that bylaw a couple of Mondays ago in council, following upon some of the other larger municipalities who did that. And this was after consultation with the local police force and the town clerk. And we needed to give our bylaw enforcement people and our law enforcement people something that they could use in case people did not adhere to the public health guidelines. And Mm. again, it's been borne out now. We see nations that haven't been exercising proper health protocols. New York City is a center for this pandemic now, and it's a terrible thing what's going on there. So I understand what you're saying, Harry, about noise on social media, about civil liberties. But in this case, we don't know if you're carrying this disease. If you are, then anybody that you come in contact with, you're potentially harming. And so getting back to John Stuart Mill, he said, we can't infringe on anybody's civil liberties unless they have the potential of harming someone. And then we have to remove their civil liberty, so to speak, if they are. And that's the basis of that uh, harm principle that he was he espoused uh, over 100 years ago. Right. I guess my question really comes out of the sense of what holds a community together. And I actually went out and uh, I contacted a friend and we took a walk downtown Orangeville the other day, keeping our distance, of course. But it was yeah. the strangest feeling. It was this surreal sense of... I don't know, sadness in the air, within the silence. Also the sense of, wow, this could be 1950s Moscow or something that the police, so to speak, could be Mm -hmm. watching and measuring our distance and going, "Uh oh, that's five and a half feet. Sorry, (laughs) I'm taking you in. There was that sense of worry and concern. So I'm wondering whether the fabric of our community could be somehow hurt through this. Yeah. I've been in virtual meetings with Orangeville Police Chief Wayne Kalinske, Mm -hmm. and that was about a week ago, just after 
the council had passed this bylaw. Chief Kalinsky at that point, they'd had 100 phone calls about people concerned about physical distancing or unlawful gatherings. Out of the 100 calls, they'd only laid a charge once. Mm. And that was um, a contractor who was going door to door selling ease trough cleaning services, who was warned by a police officer to not do that. Of course, going door to door, you're potentially interacting with people and carrying whatever you've got or whatever they've got onto the next house. Mm -hmm. So he said, look, you can't do this. Well, he came back a couple hours later and found the guy up on somebody's roof cleaning ease troughs. So he was warned, did not adhere to the warning from the police and was given a fine. Right. Now, what Chief Kalinsky said was 99 out of the 100 were educated. And that is his and his force's prime directive is to educate people. But if somebody ignores the warning that a bylaw officer or police officer gives them and they challenge them, then there is more to come. Hmm. That's where we're at. And I get it. And people are upset. And we live in a free society here and we want to be able to do as we please mm -hmm. unless <laughs> there's harm of some other individual or society involved. Right. Although before I ask the next question, I'm curious mm -hmm. about that particular incident because you described a gentleman who was there and then proceeded to go up onto a roof and clean an eaves trough, correct? That's my understanding. That's okay. what I was saying. So there would be listeners and myself, I would question to some degree, the fellow's not in contact with anybody. He's not breaking any distance rules. He's up on a roof right. working. Right. Arguably, you could perhaps talk to the fellow again or do something as opposed to finding him. This is the situation that I think Harry was alluding to that I sometimes mm -hmm. question a little bit because there's also common sense that needs to be applied in situations. Right. Like we know what the rule is and we don't want people foregoing the rules. However, in this situation, he was obviously not putting anyone at risk by going onto the roof and cleaning some eavesdrop or do I have that wrong? I, I'm with you and I would suggest that that's true. He was working by himself. He was physically distant. You'll be interested to know that on uh, Thursday last week, the provincial government agreed that those doing lawn maintenance work will be now exempt. So this may just be a timing thing. You know, there was a hard lockdown. Sure. And a week later, there was a relaxation in certain situations. And now there's a further relaxation. And as we go forward, these different types of businesses are going to be allowed to start up again. And so right. I think, again, if a police officer says, hey, under provincial emergency measures right now, you're not supposed to be doing this. Please stop. And then. An hour later, he finds him not adhering to his request and education. Yeah. That's why he was late. Understood. And I, I, I totally understand what you're saying about physical distancing was being honored there. And again, timing was an issue. Like a week later, as it turns out, it looks like that type of work probably as long as you're not interacting with the customer. Because I've talked to three or four owners of businesses that do this type of work in the last week or 10 days, and they have contact-less transactions. So you can hire them online, you can pay for the services through e-transfer or credit card, mm -hmm. and you don't have to have any 
personal interaction at all with the customer. So yeah, Sandy, I had a fellow come over to our house this morning who is going to be cutting our hay. We're part of yep. the uh, CVC bird-friendly hay cutting program, and he came right. over, this farmer, mm-hmm. and he had a mask and kept mm-hmm. his distance. We talked and did our thing, and he's going to come back and cut our hay. So there's a lot of things that really don't need to be locked down in that way. Right. You know, right? right. So, um, there is already a lot of pushback. And there will continue to be pushback. Sure. But I think the government's hearing these special circumstances and are adjusting their lockdown with some prudence there. And I think they're doing a good job. I think both the federal and provincial government are doing uh, it's very difficult times. And Sure. And all in all, we are, I agree with you, in a kind of a Canadian way, so to speak, reasonable behavior under the right. circumstances and reconsidering things at times right. based on a certain amount of common sense and logic. Right. But yeah, just to get away from the COVID situation for a moment here and, and get back to you a little bit more personally, talk uh-huh. a little bit about your childhood and how your upbringing prepared you for life in general and politics in particular. Well, as I had mentioned, and I posted a few things online about my mother, my parents separated when I was a little boy. I was uh, five years old. And again, this happens in relationships. Uh, my dad was a bit of a free spirit, a bit of a gambler, and she did not feel safe in that environment. And one day just decided to leave my father, took my sister and I and left. And This was a time in the early 1960s when divorce was a dirty word, when uh, relationship breakups were not considered. And in fact, for many years as a elementary school student and a high school student, I never let on that my parents had broken up. I mean, I'd have a friend over to my house and they'd say, oh, where's your dad? You know, and I'd say, well, he's at work right now and Mm kind of hang my head. Mm -hmm. But my mother was very fortunate because... She went to nursing school during the Second World War and in the few years after that, and she had a trade. She had training in nursing, which allowed her to make a living to support her children Mm. and get away from an unhappy situation. And so I've been pushing the idea of skilled trades to young people that there's so many great opportunities in skilled trades. And once you've learned a skilled trade, like a plumber or an HVAC technician or an electrician, that that skill gives you freedom in terms of getting a job or working for yourself for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And that was a defining moment for me, kind of watching my mom and being able to support me and my sister by herself and live, you know, we, we weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but I can't think that I was ever wanting for anything. If I needed a hockey stick, my mom would buy me a hockey stick or, right. you know, I, I went, I went to hockey camp and actually my parents remained friendly. My dad was in my life. He would pay for me to go to hockey school in the summertime and things like that. And again, that really important point that young people need to learn a marketable skill in their life. And the sooner you do that, the more financial and uh, freedom you have, I think, as you go through your life. That's a very practical, down-to-earth kind of attitude, way of looking Mm -hmm. at life. Box, box.
toilet paper in my order. Toilet paper is my corona. I need toilet paper, toilet paper, toilet paper. I'm out of toilet paper. It's my corona. Got to make a grocery run. Well, that sounds fun. Why am I out here risking my life? Corona, where's a goddamn parking space? Shit, I touched my face. Wait, I think I finally caught my corona. Stop it, don't be manic. Go inside. No organic? Oh no, all GMO. Jesus Christ, now I panic. I'll die. My, 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 my corona. Out of toilet paper, it's my corona. Don't come any closer, huh? I'll mess you up. I'm just coming in for some wipes, Corona. Kroger's full of empty shelves. Ah, what the hell? Yes, I'm stocking up on boxed white Corona. Nothing's making sense. No more friends. No more basketball kids. Our home from school. It's raining too. And I'm losing my mind. My Corona. My Corona. I need toilet paper, toilet paper, toilet paper. Box, box. It seems to me that every family has one at least crazy character in it. And I know you've got that craziness in you and that artsiness in you, Sandy. I've seen it before. And your uncle Bruce was an interesting character. And I'm wondering how he influenced you whether he influenced you in some ways. Can you talk about your Uncle Bruce and his exploits during and after the Second World War a little bit? Well, my goodness. Uh, my mother's family, again, uh, her father was, uh, I never met him. He actually passed before I was born. So mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. I never met my grandfather on my mother's side. But apparently he was quite a comedian. He earned a good living. They lived around Lawrence and uh, Avenue Road area of Toronto, which Mm. if you know that area was an upper middle class area back then. And it certainly is today. And they had a cottage on Ward's Island. Mm. So at the end of the school year, my mom and her brothers and her mother would take the ferry across to Ward's Island and her dad would commute back and forth on the ferry. So that was their summer cottage over there. And they had musical shows over there. My uncle Bruce, he sang, he played the ukulele (laughs) and he was the oldest child of their family. And when the war started, he became an RCAF pilot, a Spitfire pilot, Hmm. um, and fought in Europe and North Africa, was shot down in Germany just so happened uh, he was able to parachute out, but landed a few hundred meters away from a concentration camp. So that wasn't the best place to, uh, <laughs> to land. And he spent, I think, a year or a year and a half in uh, a concentration camp until he was liberated. But uh, made it back alive, bought the family farm, which is in the Alton area, just mm-hmm. south of Orangeville. My family used to own uh, the Pinnacle, which is the hill up behind Millcroft Inn, if you know that area. And he he was a sheep farmer. Mm -hmm. And he also put a rope toe up the Pinnacle, and it was the first uh, ski hill uh, in in this area. And uh, if you walk up to the top of the Pinnacle, you'll see where this ski run was cut through the forest. And that would have been in the 
late 40s, early 50s or so. So uh, anyway, he was uh, a really uh, great man, and I, uh, I certainly admired him whenever I got to see him. Every family needs an Uncle Bruce, I think. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so switching back from Uncle Bruce to Sandy Brown, mm-hmm. since you decided to enter politics, has your political life turned out as expected, or were there surprises, pleasant or unpleasant, to deal with? I don't even know if I want to call myself a politician right now. I think the typical politician is thought of as being a little slippery and maybe disingenuous and sometimes not truthful. I'm trying not to be that guy. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be as straight and narrow as much as possible. There's been some contentious issues here that a lot of the citizenry have been unhappy. But again, applying the philosophy of my friend John Stuart Mill in making decisions that are based on the good of the whole and not the good of the one or the few. And Mm -hmm. that's what I use every time I'm making a personal decision or a decision here on council. So another positive thing, this council, we're working together. I think we're um, acting like adults. (laughs) We're treating each other with respect, although there is some disagreement on certain issues. We are accepting the right of others to have a differing opinion. Mm. And when the decisions get made as a council, whether you win or lose, we're all moving forward in support of that council decision. I'm very proud to be leading this group of people. I think the town itself made good choices on all of our council members. So Mm. that's the positive. The negative is the requirement almost to be in the social media realm and to see some of the disrespectful commentary that goes on. And uh, I'm not talking about just people shooting barbs at myself, but taking shots at people like Premier Ford or taking shots at Prime Minister Trudeau. I'm not talking about today because, although there's still some people that are firing at those gentlemen, I'm talking about you know six months ago before all COVID started, some really nasty, nasty things that are put out there. And uh, now being a politician for a little while, we put our pants on the same way, one leg at a time. We try and do our best. We're all, I think, working hard towards a goal. But some of the sniping that goes on is just beyond uh, what's reasonable. And that's the one disappointing thing for me. But Mm -hmm. again, you don't get into these positions unless you've got thick skin, which I do. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it just goes beyond where that line in the sand should be drawn. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's really the only negative. I like being out in the public and, uh, it's been a good experience so far. And I have to say too, Mayor, that I've really enjoyed your town coffee chats, mm. you know, bringing people from certain sectors together. It really has given me a real good sense of how the community is handling this. How do you see the life of the community after the pandemic? What do you think will remain the same and what might look different? Well, Harry, if you listen to the chat I had with Larry Kurtz and David Nairn and Ricky Shade, Hmm. there's a bit of concern there about gatherings and what is the future going to mean for large events, large festivals in the sort of immediate future and what the long term is. I guess we go back to 1918 and 1919 when the Spanish flu hit. Mm -hmm. Tens of millions of people died. And I'm seeing pictures now from there of people with masks on back 100 years ago. So this is going to be remaining for a while. I don't know what that period of time is, but uh, certainly in the short term, we're going to have 
issues with getting together in larger events, even with Theatre Orangeville, what happens? Do you have people sitting every other seat, for instance, mm-hmm. um, yep. in order to make for some some period of time until the public health officials can officially say this problem has passed? So that may be the reality in the fall that the Theatre Orangeville is not going to have the same kind of capacity. Mm-hmm. I've said this in public speaking a number of times is that since I've come to Orangeville about 30 years ago, Orangeville's developed this cultural soul that I didn't see when I first came here. Wayne Townsend, who is a longtime resident here, was the former curator of Duffer Museum, and uh, he challenged me. He said, no, 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 there was a cultural soul here before, Sam, trust me. But Mm -hmm. again, I came from the city. My wife and our young kids moved up here, great place to raise a family. When we moved here, Every other guy at the Orangeville Mall was wearing a Kenora dinner jacket. Right. And, <laughs> you know. and uh, my wife and I, we used to laugh. We'd come home. We we're giggling all the way home. These guys are a bunch of hicks up here. But it has changed. Think about guys like Al Pace and Lynn Ward with their pottery and their Ricky Shade and Maggioli Art and Larry Kurtz and the Blues and Jazz Festival and mm-hmm. Theodore Orangeville, which is only 25 years old now. All of these things have created this hubbub here, this creative environment that makes Orangeville different, I think, than a lot of towns of our size. And I know coming out of this, that's one place we need to focus and celebrate because we all love our live events. We love music. We love theater. Right. We love uh, spoken word, Harry. Mm. We love spoken word. So (laughs) all of those good things, I think, are going to bring us out of this in good shape. I hope that some of the small businesses are not damaged beyond repair. Mm -hmm. The federal government has come through with some amazing help, although we're all going to be paying for that down the road. I don't think anybody's thinking that there isn't going to be a payday because when you give 75% relief on rent and 75% relief on wages and this type of thing, somebody's paying for it and it's the same taxpayer. Yeah. Yeah. And I concur with your sentiments about uh, Orangeville because next week will be 31 years that I've been here. What's your greatest hope and what do you fear most as we make our way out of this COVID crisis? Well, if you look at the numbers, gentlemen, you'll realize that the focus here has to be on long-term care facilities and Mm -hmm. seniors facilities going forward. And I think the hygiene protocols for staff and visitors to these facilities is going to be markedly changed. I Mm. think that's a big focus. I've been involved in a project plan here, actually right beside Larry Kurt's home, if you know where that is on uh, the West of Broadway. There's a plan for a new long-term care facility to go there. So I've met with the developers a couple of times. They've been to town council. The new Ontario Building Code as it relates to long-term care facilities, ensures that every resident is housed in either a single room or a double room. So no more of this ward style of accommodation for Mm. people, which gives them better privacy, a better quality of life, and less chance for disease to be spread quickly. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these older long-term care facilities, the one where 10, 20, 30 people have passed, if you look at them, the older style ones where they get that ward style room. So that's the silver lining, I think, going forward mm. is there's going to be a lot of money thrown at long term care facilities and changes in the way they do business. 
Mm-hmm. Sandy, given that the rate of transmission and mortality statistics are quite area-specific and that a vaccine could be a long ways away from being developed, if ever, do you have an intuitive sense for when we might see the easing of the lockdown in Ontario? I mean, how long until people living in a democracy say enough is enough? Yeah, well, you're already seeing the people rising up in the United States. Every time I flip on the TV and I see Mr. Trump speak, I scratch my head. But (laughs) he seems to be egging these people on instead of supporting his public health professionals. But Mm. what I sensed was we didn't have enough of the personal protective equipment for the healthcare workers. Mm. And we didn't have enough ventilators for those who got into serious problem with COVID and that we were kind of waiting for all of that to be in place to protect against a surge in cases that might happen. What I understood it would happen in Italy was it happened so quickly that the healthcare system got overwhelmed and they couldn't help some people. Mm-hmm. And so I think Premier Ford, I remember him talking two or three weeks ago and he says, this will never happen again, that we will not be able to control our destiny on medical equipment. Right. And so he made that statement. I just saw a few days ago, General Motors in Oshawa has retooled their plant to make masks. So I think going forward, when we're able to wear the proper protective equipment, when the hospitals have enough beds and enough ventilators to tackle any surge in cases, I just saw in Germany in the last couple of days, I think they've said anybody who's out at a market or in any kind of uh, close quarters, it's mandatory to wear a mask and that may be coming. And that might allow us to start opening up and getting back to normal. Although wearing a mask in the middle of summer here isn't going to be fun, but uh, it's going to be one of the requirements probably going forward. Well, there's no doubt this is a very adverse situation and adverse Mm -hmm. situations tend to bring out the best and the worst in people. How do you think Orangeville has risen to the challenge of COVID? What are some of the good news stories coming out of this pandemic? Well, there's been a number of people that have stepped forward. Some of our local catering companies and our local restaurants have step forward to provide meals for some of the frontline workers. I know some of the long-term care facilities, the workers there have received meals. There's been a lot of donations to the food bank. The food banks had a tremendous amount of local community support. I had a conversation much like this a couple of days ago with the CEO of Headwaters Hospital, Mm. and they are allowing some of their staff to go up to Shelburne, to the Shelburne residents, because of the fact that COVID has hit there and hit some staff, that they've got some staffing issues. So our hospital is actually providing some additional human resources help up at the Shelburne residence to help them get through this problem. So a lot of community sharing, I think a lot of donations that have happened and uh, everybody's trying to keep a stiff upper lip. We all are looking forward to the time when we get the all clear signal and we can get back to our normal life. But there's going to be, I think, this lingering idea of physical distancing, I think, is going to remain for quite some time. I agree. I think it's probably going to take at least six months before people start to get away from those habits. Any last thoughts uh, for the folks out there, Sandy, before we wrap up? Well, I I enjoy talking with you, gents, and I thank you. Uh, I think Orangeville, in terms of our fiscal ability here as a town itself, knowing what I know about our finances as far as the municipality is concerned in Dufferin County. I think 
we're okay. We're going to come out of this. Mm-hmm. I think everybody needs to think about shopping local, particularly over the next six to 12 months to let our local businesses recover as best they can. Mm-hmm. I think going forward, when I'm shopping at a department store, I'm going to be looking at labels a little closer, maybe. I'm going to be supporting Canadian manufacturers, maybe more. And we have to be concerned about food supply and food security for those who are more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I hope the supply chain isn't terribly affected. I know in the United States, there's been some huge uh, meat packing plants that have been shut down and causing some issues there. But I guess the other option is maybe we'll go vegetarian and we'll have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, along the lines of all this information that you're giving out, for the public and so on. Is there a website that people can visit to get the latest information from the town, where we are with the pandemic or any other sources of information that may be useful to the public? Well, if you Google Wellington, Dufferin, Guelph Public Health, you'll find a lot of information on where we're at with the number of cases that are in this area and public health warnings and best practices, both DufferinCounty.ca and Orangeville.ca have copious amounts of information about various levels of government programs. Ontario.ca is where the provincial government is. I'm not sure what the federal one is, but I know Dufferin County and Orangeville have both provincial and federal program information on board. And those are the best places to get that information. That's terrific. Thanks, Sandy. Oh. It sounds weird uh, calling you Sandy when you're the mayor of Orangeville. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, I'm, I'm still Sandy. No, okay. No. My dad was Mr. Brown. There you go. So. Right. There you go. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sandy. And, and I hope to see you at uh, Day of the Poets 3 whenever we get to it. Mm-hmm. I'm very much looking forward to it. Grant, uh, Councillor Grant Peters and I, We read some uh, stories, uh, children's stories for Earth Week last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to have my own poetry ready for you, Harry, whenever we get that done. Okay. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you so much for some of your time and and speaking with us today. It's been interesting. Yes. Thank you very much, Sandy. Thank you very much. All the best. All right. You too. Bye-bye now. Well, there it is, the end of TSP 124, The Undefinable Spirit with uh, Mayor Sandy Brown. And we'd love to hear your comments. We certainly would. Leave an audio comment or a text comment. Anything you have to say is relevant, so Mm -hmm. please communicate with us. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.